Sup, fellow freak shows. I'm Lorraine. And I'm Amanda, and welcome to Monsters of the Midwest. Right, welcome on back to Monsters of the Midwest. It's you know we're doing another episode every Tuesday. We got a new one for you, isn't that wild? Right, right. We're out of the closet. We got a new wardrobe. We're we're doing great these days. You know, we we are we are. We're diving into something fresh and new or old and creepy. One of the two. <laughs> it's um, it's not too old. I mean, it's in the two thousands. This this uh... okay. So we're sta- we're staying relevant, like you know, here for the kids and shit. Yeah, right, right. So uh, the person that I am going to be discussing today, his name is Eric Robert. Now, He's, you never he trust like a, a man. Stand-up. He sounds like a stand-up guy. You never you know? trust a man with two first names, okay? Let's Truth. Just... <laughs> okay. But Truth. Uh, I'm going to just tell his story and what he did because it's kind of it's kind of wild. All right. So, uh, can I guess where he's from? Uh, sure, sure. Uh, Eric Robert. I mean, that's very midwestern. Um, I, I'm <laughs> yeah. gonna guess we're we're getting out of Chicago, right? We're gonna leave Chi Town, gonna travel somewhere else. We are out else. of sh- we are out of Chicago. Is there more uh, corn or no? Um, it's colder. Colder. Oh, okay. Um, are we going to the Dakotas or no? Uh, so, <sighs> he is from Dakota, South Dakota. Okay. And Wisconsin, so he has moved around. Ooh, he likes the cheese, too. He likes it cold and cheesy. All right. <laughs> yes. So, this this case, it escalates fairly quickly in a short amount of time. And it's it's a little it's a little bizarre, but that's why we're talking about it, right? All right, yeah, I'm ready. So the crime that Eric Robert went to prison for is wild in itself. The way he ends up on death row is even more bizarre. So we're gonna start with the crime that got him into prison in the first place. Okay, I'm already right, July twenty. Yes, July twenty fourth. 2005, Eric Robert followed an 18-year-old woman at 2 in the morning on a rural road near Blackhawk. He turned on his pickup spotlights to pull her over. The victim stated that Eric took, uh, told her that he was an undercover police officer. Oh, and asked, he's, he's one of those. He's one of those. Yes, yes, and asked her to perform a field sobriety test. It's around the same time that people are getting out the bar, you know. People might be a little tipsy, whatever. But as we find out, he followed her from the parking lot of her job. So this so was... you said he had pickup lights? Yeah, so he had like a light bar. Yeah, well, I, I used to have a pickup truck that had a light bar on it. So that's what kind of mm-hmm. what I was thinking about. I've never seen a fucking cop with a pickup truck and a light bar. Is that a thing in those states or what? Like, because we only have squad cars here and SUVs. Honestly, I'm not sure. I know that down here in Texas, we do have um, trucks. 
with okay. light bars and stuff. So it just depends on I I guess what the um what the district or whatever ends up getting. Usually it's something that holds more people, right? Okay. All right. But um she's quoted saying he didn't have any form of identification. He had maybe just a t-shirt on and jeans. He had some facial hair and unshaven look. So Why the fuck would she even talk to him or stop? So, oh my god. Right. She said she was suspicious, but went along with it when he told her to empty out her trunk. So she's Bitch, 18. She got out of the car? <laughs> yes. Right. She's oh. 18. This is an older adult. She's like, I don't know what, Terrified, you know, probably. who he is or what's going on. And instead of, you know, getting the fuck out of Dodge, she just says, you know, I'm just going to go along because I don't know if he's an undercover cop or not. I'm not really sure. And I'm and I'm not sure if that's something that she just didn't get taught when she was younger. You know, like, don't pull over for anyone that doesn't show ID or whatever. You know what I'm saying? Well, I don't know how it goes in the Dakotas, though, but I mean, that's, I don't know, that's street smarts. So maybe she doesn't have that there. I don't know. Why the fuck would you get out of the car? Like, come on. <laughs> right. So uh, when the young woman then asked for identification, now at this point, she's out of the vehicle by her trunk, emptying out the trunk of her car. Then she asked for ID, which that to me screams no street smarts, right? Like, I, you should have set it in the car, lock the lock the door, things like that. But, you know, I just, I, I can't, I can't stress enough how important it is to have anyone that comes up to your vehicle. If they, if they pull you over, you have to ask for identification. That's numero uno. If they don't show it to you, get out of there. I just see the first, the, the red flag for me was the truck, like the roll, like the, the light. I don't know. That's, Mm. But yeah. that that could be, you know, demographic thing. But, oh, my God. She got... What the fuck did she have in her trunk that she thought she needed to unload? I'd be like, nah, it's empty. I, Sorry. <laughs> Bye. You know? I don't know. So, did at this point... Her, did it say what her job was? That she... No. Okay. No. Just but I'm assuming curiosity. it's like... I mean, she got off work at 2 a.m. She's 18. It could be any could number be of places. Yeah. You know, any, any number of places. But... Uh, she, at this point, after she asked for identification, right before any, she has like the wherewithal to like turn around and get back in the vehicle. He scoops her up and shoves her in her own trunk and told her he was going to take her to Sturgis. Oh, the, we're going to go to a people, biker, biker rally or what? <laughs> yeah. So for the people that don't know, Sturgis happens every year. It's a motorcycle, um, you know, rally slash festival slash whatever you want to call it. It's a gathering. It's like a whole week long and it's just, you know, like a biker rally. Yeah. My parents used and, to it. Yeah. So he closed her in there, drove his truck to a parking lot down the street, and then returned to the woman's vehicle and drove it to the same parking lot. Jeez. Yes. It's at this time when the cell phones were starting to become popular. So thank God for that, because this woman had the wherewithal to take it with her. Yeah, get your fucking Nokia out, bitch. Come on. Right. When she was shoved into the trunk and she first. okay, this is this for me right here. Just 
got on my nerves because she she called a friend to tell them what was happening to her instead of the police first. Uh, and wrong then, choice. Yeah, and then called at two a.m. Yeah, and then called the Pennington County Sheriff's Department. She was frantically describing her situation, hoping that nothing else would happen to her, which uh, any number of things could happen at this point. She doesn't know what this man is capable of. He obviously is not a police officer. Now she's in her own trunk of her own car, which, by the way, fun fact or helpful tip, if you are stuck in a trunk of the car... There There's is a, a pull lever. cord. Yeah. There is a lever. <laughs> pull it and get the hell out of there. Also. I'm, per- I'm pretty sure like my first car, which was a 93 Mustang, had one. Okay. Yeah. Like. Also, yeah. not only that, you can, with enough strength, punch out the the taillights. Yep. So make sure or kick it or something if you're not tied up in any way. Make sure you do something and make it known that you're in there. Yeah, you so, can kick out those taillights. You'll get pulled over two in the two in the morning. No taillight. Yeah, stick your yeah. fucking arm out of it. Come on, like exactly. <sighs> so, Eric ditched the vehicle soon after parking it. Now I'm not sure if he heard the woman talking on the phone with police at that point, or if he just didn't have the guts to follow through with what he planned on doing. But something spooked him, and he got out of there, and she was left in the trunk of the car. So detectives uh, found the car, got her out of it, and then detectives finally found Eric's vehicle days later. He made sure that he didn't match the description of the kidnap victim that she had given to police because he shaved his face. He shaved his head. He denied any involvement. He's... You know, he tried to conceal his identity. So obviously, you know, he wasn't planning on getting caught. And I don't doubt that he would have done it a second time or more. So what do you do? Just take off on foot then if he ditched his car and her car? So he drove just away. Went, just went to Sturgis she, and fucking partied for a week? Like <laughs> she, she, he was found um, somewhere else. So, um... You'll see you'll see what ends up happening okay, here. Okay. Police searched his pickup truck and they found a bed, like a, a mattress, an axe, a rope, and porn magazines. Perfect. <laughs> yeah. So at this point the police are like, excuse me, what's going on here? Obviously something is going on. He finally admits to pulling the young woman over, but denied ever wanting to rape or otherwise harm the victim. Uh, But why stuff her in the back of any vehicle? So did he willingly offer, like, I didn't want to rape her. I didn't want to kill her. Like, did he offer that information, did it say? Because I feel like that's a a red flag for me. Like, yes. Just yes. painting there a picture was, that was was blank prior, you know? Yes. So it was almost as though he wanted to clear the air before they even asked any questions. Ugh, okay. Which to me signals a giant red flag. Guilty as fuck. Yeah. Sure. So here's the thing. 
one friend that Eric was working for, uh, her name is Cheryl Williamson, said that he would sleep in his truck to avoid paying for a hotel while traveling for work. She mentioned that he never showed any interest in young girls. And at his sentencing hearing in 2005, she said that Eric was working for her all summer for no pay and that she couldn't believe the allegations against him at first. She was starting a business and Eric told her, that he would help her get her business up and running, basically. Like, really, a stand-up uh, guy, you know? He's so helpful. Okay. So all I heard from that was he's a wook, professional homeless. Um, <laughs> he's probably banging her. That's why he's doing this work for free. Otherwise, why would he work for an entire summer for free? Um, <laughs> I I don't know. That That's literally all I took from that because that sounds like a bunch of bullshit. Either that or she's being threatened into saying what she's saying. So here, here's another thing. Cheryl's quoted saying, it's unbelievable that he would do that or that he did that. It's nothing of the man I know. He was incapable of doing that, which a lot of uh, people who commit crimes of this nature, a lot of people that were close to them at one time, oh, he would never do something like that. He, he was always so nice and so oh. friendly, so professional. They and always say that, though. They always. Yes. I mean, Dateline 2020, like everything. He was such a nice boy, such a nice girl. I don't know where this came from. Bitch, come on. <laughs> they were antisocial. They had no friends, and their mom thought there was something wrong with them. You know what I mean? Like, it, come on. Like, quit trying to be cute for TV. So another Wisconsin friend of Eric's, Bob Lang, also testified on his behalf. Lang said that Eric would volunteer his time to help with EMT services, but also volunteered around the region in other aspects. Like, for instance, uh, Bayfield County Sheriff Richard Parquette was killed in a domestic dispute when Lang suggested that the EMTs should create a memorial to help um, you know, support families and to memorialize him. And Eric went around collecting donations for it without being paid, without being coerced or anything. That's so, a red flag for me also. <laughs> Was yeah, he trying being, to, like, get in with the good guy? nice. Yeah, like inserting himself into, ugh, okay. Something that doesn't involve him at all. Either that or to learn the craft, to learn how to impersonate the, you know, the officers yeah. or EMT, the, the people that are, are first responders, whatever the fact. Listen you know? to the language when they uh, engage with a civilian, perhaps. A- absolutely. Yeah, so there was mention, there was a mention that he was a mean drunk. So in order to there put a is. lid on Yep, <laughs> there so in order to put a lid on that anger, Eric stopped drinking to his own accord. He said, I'm done. I can't do it anymore. I'm I'm a mean person when I drink and I just can't do it. He now he was eventually, after all the trial and all of all of the process, the due process, he was eventually sentenced to 80 years in prison based on the evidence that his suspect of his suspected intentions, blah, blah. (laughs) Suspected intentions. Yes. Because just because he did not commit uh, rape or murder or anything like that doesn't mean he wasn't capable of doing so. And finding those things in the trunk or the back of the bed of his truck 
led people to believe that he was capable of committing not only impersonating a police officer and attempted kidnapping of someone, which he did, really, but he was capable of so much worse. Okay, okay. So, so let, let me just ask a couple questions to break that down. So his, his sentencing, what, what state are we in? Wisconsin or Dakota? Wisconsin, right? Um, South Dakota. Okay, so I don't know many things about the law there. So was the majority of his, like, the meat of his case from the impersonating of an officer? No. No? Okay, because I was going to say that would make sense. Like, I'm just trying to look at why the the um, sentence is so hefty for, yeah. for the assumption of something. You know what I mean? Because We will have to look up... Um, like the South state Dakota law. law. Yeah, cuz that Because it, it seems to me like the Dakotas, Wisconsin, I think Kansas even, they're really they're not as lenient as other states are and it, the the stricter the punishment, it seems like the the lesser the crime, the stricter the punishment because of the potential of them getting out and doing so much worse. I mean, but, I I love that in a way, but also like that's a hefty that's crime for the assumption that he might do something else. I don't know. That just, right. that rubs me wrong for some reason. Yeah. Not that I empathize with him. I don't. But Right. So Judge Warren, who uh George, Judge Warren Johnson, who presided over the case, said it certainly sounds like the Wisconsin Eric Robert is a totally different person from the South Dakota Eric Robert. It's the South Dakota Eric Robert I'm dealing with today. So he traveled for work. Okay. And they're not that far apart. I guess I But to I still to me, think the Dakotas fell off the map, so I have no idea where the fuck they're at. <laughs> right. Wisconsin so I know, to but me, the Dakotas. No. It seems like the people that he had been calling as character witnesses are people from an area that he wasn't in when he committed this crime. And it's because of that, that I think they decided to, to inflict such a heavy sentence on him. And I, I feel as though if he is capable of living in one state and then commuting to another for work and committing crimes there and potentially going back to another state, it seems like he might be a flight risk. Yeah, huge one, for sure. Yeah, so this man impersonated a police officer, pulled over a young woman and had her get in her own trunk, drove his truck to a parking lot, and then walked to pick up her vehicle and drove it to the same lot. Now I'm speculating... He might have heard sirens and took off because, uh, remember, she called police. Right, and, right. And I don't know in 2005 if pinging cell phones was I don't think as that was popular a thing. as it is now. I don't think but it I'll was. Have, I'll have yeah. to look that up because when she, when she was being driven somewhere, she didn't know where she was located. So how would they have found her without pinging her cell phone? True. I 100% think we need to do a deep dive on Buy Me a Coffee on this episode because I want to go into the laws of these two states and why the hell they're so um, drastic for just the assumption of things or, like, the lack mm -hmm. of evidence. You know what I mean? The hearsay of yeah. it. Yeah. So. Right. 
So we're gonna we're gonna talk about the early life of Eric Robert. Okay, so you get to okay. know him a little bit. Okay, yeah, he let's was, do that. He was born on May thirty first, nineteen sixty two, in Massachusetts. Okay. He and he and his sister Jill Slater, oh, sorry, Jill Stalter, <laughs> excuse me, were raised by a single mother because dad left early. He just see you later, sayonara, I'm gone. From there, the small family moved to Hayward, Wisconsin, when the kids were still young. So he's that's where he's originally from is Massachusetts. Then when he was very young, they moved, and that happens. Okay. Can I comment on something? Mm-hmm. Do you know what sign he is? Do I know? Yeah. May 31st? I He's have a no fucking idea. Gemini. He's a fucking Gemini. So. <laughs> Just throwing well, that out there for you folks. You know what? Any Anytime you want to know who is, Which, who's what. <laughs> I'm your girl. I, I'm yep, the white bitch with the nose ring that'll let you know. And I'll let you know what the planets are doing too if you ask. So, um, but no... That makes a lot of sense with his dual personality, dual um, Wisconsin versus Dakota life, too. But mm-hmm. That's just a so, little sidebar. <laughs> yeah. Jill testified on Eric's behalf during the trial in 2005, say, saying that um, Eric was the father figure in her life, and he made sure that everything was done, grocery shopping, dinner on the table, helping with homework. He even got Jill her first puppy, making oh, wow. sure all the chores... Yeah, making sure all the chores around the house were done because mom was putting herself through school to make sure she could provide for the two little ones all on her own. So to me, I mean, he he didn't do anything as far as I can see that would uh, constitute this type of behavior. So Jill also states that Eric put himself through college by working weekends and full time during summer breaks he didn't want to use any of mom's money because she was doing the same exact thing. He so oh, he, gra- he got resentful yeah. somewhere. He got resent because I mean that sounds like a you know a stand up guy, but also oh, yeah. like somebody that had to take on a lot of responsibility being so young. So I feel like he got resentful somewhere. Something yeah. triggered it. Also, he graduated 18th in his class at Hayward High in 1980, earning himself a biology degree with a minor in chem at the University of Wisconsin-Superior. He applied his degree by applying at the wastewater treatment supervisor, uh, wastewater treatment plant as a supervisor for the city of Superior. On the application, Eric wrote that he hadn't missed a day of work in 10 years, very much a team player, at work and gets along with other coworkers. He would joke around with people and shoot the breeze like you would any other normal interaction with other coworkers or employees. So, All right. Oh. Dan Dan Romans, the wastewater administrator for Superior, called Eric a natural-born leader who accomplished more in 18 months than others did in decades. So, that, now you can see why I'm so intrigued by why a man would do something like this when he's got all of this going for him. You he's have a v- me drop jaw flabbergasted. I'm not even going to lie. I'm just like sitting here like, what? Yeah. So I started researching this and I thought, maybe they missed the mark somewhere, okay? Yes. I'm ready now for it. Now we're getting into it. <laughs> yes. Now we're getting into it. The man behind closed doors. An article the other side by of the Gemini. Associ- <laughs> yep. 
An article by Associated Press from October 25th, 2011, explains the horrors an ex-girlfriend of Eric Robert had to endure while in a decade-long relationship with him. Oh, shit. Yeah. She, she said that Eric was an aggressive, mean person who beat the shit out of her and forced her to have sex every single night. There it is. She said Was he that drunk he, at this time? No. Okay. No. He said that he did not allow her to go to bed with clothing on at all. When she was wearing clothing in bed, he would forcefully rip them off her. No pajamas, no underwear, socks, nothing. In the fucking Midwest, you can't be doing that, dude. I, mm. I sleep in sweats. Especially all the way up there. Damn, yeah. <laughs> this ex-girlfriend was unnamed in the article because she's been a victim of sexual and physical abuse. So her and her two children lived with Eric oh, from fuck. 1994 to 2001. She went to the emergency room more than once with injuries that were made by him. One instance... The two were having a heated argument, and Eric hauled back and slapped her. The woman admits to hitting him back, but then, of course, he retaliates because he's not having any of that shit. Yeah. Punching her in the face so hard that her bottom teeth went through her bottom (gasps) lip. Oh, my God. He hit her so hard that she hurt herself that badly. So she goes to the ER. Oh, I got to go to the ER. We interrupt your regularly scheduled debauchery to talk to you about some other cool cats. Hi, I'm Sean McCabe. And I'm Carrie McCabe. We are, well, married, obviously, (laughs) but we're also obsessed with the darker side of things. True crime stories, alien abductions, poltergeists. If it leaves you scratching your head and keeping those lights on at night, we want to hear about it. That's why we host the podcast Ain't It Scary with Sean and Carrie. Every week, we bring our listeners a true story guaranteed to send chills down your spine, from history's most brutal serial killers to the mystery of spontaneous human combustion. Yep, lots of these stories leave unanswered questions behind, and you'll get to poke through the rubble of the evidence with a hardened skeptic and... Someone whose mind is more open to fun. Yeah, that's what I was going to (laughs) say. The show really feels like just kicking back with us at home and chatting about monsters and tragedies, but having a few laughs along the way. Just like we'd be doing if the mics were off, frankly. (laughs) You can find Ain't It Scary with Sean and Carrie wherever you get your podcasts and on social media at Ain't It Scary. Come play with us. Forever and ever and ever. What do you think? Their links are in the description, so go check them out, you turkeys. Time to agitate the gravel and get back to Coolsville. Eric told the hospital staff that she had slipped on icy stairs while carrying groceries inside the home. Stop another, it. Yeah, another <laughs> instance, she ended up with a broken foot, to which Eric told hospital staff she had slipped and fallen yet again. So either this bitch is real clumsy... Or some fuckeries going on in this house. Her literal teeth were coming through her face. Like that is not. I'm yeah. a huge clutch, and I've never, hard. I've never done anything anywhere near that. <laughs> anywhere yeah, near so that. So 
She called police on him after a brief separation because he showed up to her home drunk and belligerent. They got into a domestic dispute, which left the woman being drug around the front yard by her hair. She dropped the charges against him, though, with fears that he would come back and harm her either, even yeah. further. She was afraid for her life. Yeah. Eric also held a gun to her head and said he could pull the trigger whenever he wanted to. To be a part of this relationship and fear for your life is something I cannot wrap my head around. It's, it's insane to me that somebody would go through something like this and come out of it and be okay. Because I don't, I don't believe that I could do so. Uh, I'm just like flabbergasted. There, I mean, yeah, I, I can Not- empathize for some of the pieces in that because I have been in um, an abusive relationship where you know you you just said like drug around the yard by the back of your hair. I've I've experienced that and it was mm-hmm. mind it was just I don't know is. I'm not going to get into it. It's fucking terrible. But that was it for me. Like that. And then for her to have to endure all of this. Like for 10 years. Like or over a decade or decade you said. Yes. I cannot imagine. I cannot imagine having to endure that type of abuse for so long. And she's got two young children there also. With kids. Don't with forget. kids. Yeah. Oh no. Yeah. I didn't forget. Like. So. here, Here's. Okay, so the defense is questioning why the woman didn't mention any sexual assaults when she was talking with investigators. She's quoted saying, I told myself because I said fine and rolled over that it wasn't rape. And a lot of victims go through this. Yeah. And I've been in her shoes. So have I. So I know exactly how she feels, and it's very, very disheartening to get taken advantage of by somebody that you think loves and cares about you because when the times are good, they're really good. But when the times are bad, they're fucking horrible. And I feel like as a vic, like coming from a victim standpoint, you always find a way to either tell yourself it's going to be okay or that it's not that bad. Or if I just do this, it's going to be over, you know, and and you think you can move on and you can't. And I feel like it's the right. same, ver- at least for me, it's the same verbiage in your head. You play Always. back and forth. Yeah. It's- so now we're going back. We're going back to prison. He's in prison over kid- potentially, you know, doing something really, really terrible to this 18-year-old girl that he wanted to abduct and take to Sturgis. When Eric, was on, when Eric Robert was on trial for impersonating a police officer and kidnapping, he was ultimately convicted and given an 80-year sentence for his crimes in 2006. Eric was sentenced to South Dakota State Penitentiary, and that's a high-security prison. Now there, he meets Rodney Burgett, or Burgett. These two knuckleheads plan to bust out of the joint. They're like, fuck this, oh. we're out of here. So they start making a plan. They're like, we're, we're not built for this life. We're getting the fuck out of Dodge. Let's make a plan. So they're in a high security prison. This is not a joke. This is, yeah, okay. Now the two of them are, they both have jobs within the prison, which a lot of prison systems do that. They have different jobs or different areas that um, prisoners work at to you know, get the experience and get them out of the cells, things like that. 
Right. Working in the part of the prison known as Pheasant Land Industries, this is where inmates work on upholstery, signs, custom furniture, and other projects. Seems like a little nice little crafting area for prisoners mm-hmm. and their inner creative selves to get to work and make something, you know, with their hands. Okay. Ron Johnson, age 63, he works at Pheasantland Industries, making sure the inmates are doing everything they're supposed to do. And this particular day, it's Johnson's birthday. He's like, you know, I still got to go to work. It's my shift. You got to do what you got to do, right? April 12th, 2011. Besides being Johnson's birthday, this is the day that Eric and accomplice Rodney decide they're getting the hell out of here. So both inmates put their plan in action. Armed with a lead pipe, the two blindside Johnson, beating him to absolute death with the lead pipe and wrapping his head up in plastic wrap so nobody could hear him scream as they attacked him and they left him to die there. Oh, my God. Eric put on Johnson's prison guard uniform, and he starts approaching the prison's west gate, pushing a cart with some large boxes on it, one of which is housing Eric's accomplice, Rodney. Keeping his head down so no one could see his face, other guards became suspicious as the man carting around a couple boxes came closer to them. Eric then knows that the situation is going south and decides he's going to start beating up the other guards to try to get out. But by that time, the damage is done, right? Their prison break was botched, and they're both apprehended. So months later, when Eric stood up in front of the judge, he told the judge that his only regret is that he hadn't killed more guards in the process of his (gasps) escape. He pled guilty to the murder of Johnson and asked to be sentenced to death, saying that if he didn't receive that punishment, he would absolutely kill again. Never, mm. He never appealed his sentence. He never tried. He bypassed his mandatory state review in hopes of expediting his death. Oh, I, you know, I feel like that's, I mean, that type of comment comes up like more so than you would think. Like, oh, mm-hmm. just put me to death. put Because that's the easy fucking way out. But then they say, it oh, it's because I will do it again. Well, okay. Yeah, maybe. But, I mean, there's a lot of things that they can do inside the prison world to make you not do it again. You know? You can sit in the right. shoe for fucking 40 years and see how that feels. <laughs> you know? Right. Zero, yeah, zero percent exactly. daylight. You know? I mean. Ugh. Yeah. So, uh... His accomplice, on the other hand, pled guilty and also had been given a death sentence. Now, he did not want the death sentence, however, and he appealed. Okay. Different, different. uh, I mean, yeah, two sides of the same coin. Strokes for different folks here. Yeah. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Now, where did they get the lead pipe and the plastic wrap, huh? Okay. I was going to ask that, but I was like, I wanted to know, too. Another inmate buddy of theirs, Michael Nordman, supplied them with the supplies to carry out their heinous crime. Okay, well, what was now, his fucking job? What, what was he doing? These guys were over here making uh, arts and crafts, you know. They were all in the same area, and I think that he might have been, like, part of the shipping department, perhaps, where they got the plastic wrap and stuff. Like, you wrap up okay. all the furniture. Okay. He receives a life sentence. 
because of all this. Because he supplied the murder weapon. As he should. Yes. Eric was finally put to death by a single-dose lethal injection on Friday, October 12th. Um, Ooh, we got a he single pronou- dose. That's interesting. Yes. That's not common. He was pronounced dead at 10.24 p.m. I don't know why I didn't put the year here, but I'll have to look that up. You know what's really weird? I have to interrupt you. So um, yes. as we're recording, the time that you said his time of death was actually 10.24 on the uh, the bar at the top of our recording, too. I thought that was interesting. <laughs> Creepy. Yes. Yeah, spooky. And he was, uh, he was dealt out that final lethal dose at the same prison that he was being held at. 18 months after the murder of prison guard Ronald Johnson. So that was uh, in 2007, I want to say. There are a multitude of articles uh, that state that um, this was the first execution in the state in five years. And the first one to use the single dose lethal injection. Yeah, because that's, I I don't know if you know much about that. That's not common. It's not common to use a single dose. It's actually um, considered unethical in most states. Kind of like yeah. the um, like the firing squad. There's there's multiple uh, ways of execution that they consider unethical, and that the single dose is one of them. And I I know it's not here in Ohio. I know for sure it is. I, it is in Ohio. Oh, the yes, single dose. The single dose. Yes. I feel. Yeah. Like okay. Actually, can, the governor of Ohio said that he will not. He will not put anyone to death until they get rid of it. And this is recent. And I remember talking okay. to you about this. Maybe that's we where it, look th- it up. Maybe that's where it triggered me that we we talked. I I was like this sounds familiar. Like we just yeah, talked like, about and this. Anybody okay. that's on death row in Ohio is currently at a stay because they don't want to use that. The single dose, right? Yes. Okay, okay. Yeah. For sure. It, so, it was the conversation we had. Okay. Moving forward. Yes, we did. So Lynette Johnson the widow of Ronald said that the death of Eric Robert will not bring back her husband, her children's father, or her grandchildren's grandfather. She's quoted saying, but we do know that the employees of the Department of Corrections and the public in general will be just a little safer now. We need to have more attention and focus on the safety of all the correctional officers in the state of South Dakota. Ron, None of you will ever know how great he is and is missed. We stand proud for Ron. So good for her, man. Yeah, definitely. So, so Lynette, her two children, their spouses all witnessed the execution, along with Eric's lawyer. No one from, no one from Eric's family was in attendance. His last meal was Moose Tracks ice cream, which, son of a bitch, that's actually a pretty good ice cream. He f- and then he fasted for 40 hours before the execution for religious reasons. Now, oh, I'm, of course, fucking God. I didn't, All right. I didn't get into that. Eric's lawyer, Mark Can- Caddy, K-A-D-I, said that the execution was very orderly and polished. The problem was it was too orderly. Said that it was antiseptic and peaceful, so much what? so that it really masked what was happening to Eric. Katie is being quoted saying, if more people were able to see the events, there would be far fewer of them. So this is 
only the 17th person to ever be put to death in South Dakota since 1877. And I'll leave you with uh, Robert Eric's or Eric Roberts' last words. Yes, His I was going to ask words, you if you had them. Oh, good. Oh, yes, I do. His last words were, In the name of justice and liberty and mercy, I authorize and forgive Warden Douglas Weber to execute me for my crimes. It is done. So that is the story of Mr. Eric Robert. Also, while you were um, doing all this, I looked up his picture, and he's a frightening-looking ginger-headed man. So everybody else should look him up and look at his eyes and see how hollow they are and really (laughs) soak in that... Really soak in that last quote, <laughs> you know. Like, yeah, ugh. we'll post them for you on on our socials on Facebook, Facebook dot com slash Monsters of the Midwest Pod. We post pictures just like this creepy soul here. We post updates and little teaser trailers for big episodes, um, and we also have a Buy Me a Coffee, Buy Me a Coffee dot com slash M O T M. And we put extra content out there for y'all. And you should go check that out as well. For sure. And thank you for listening wherever you're listening from. Um, If you are listening from Apple, drop us a comment. uh, Give us five stars. Boost us up the algorithm. So everybody that loves these beautiful true crime facade stories that we tell can hear it too. Um, It doesn't matter what you put on that comment. um, Just throw something down. Get us up there. We appreciate it all. Um, we also are anybody that buys us a drink or a coffee, whatever the matter, we're going to mention you. We're going to bring you up on the episodes. So we can't wait to do that. Always remember the code of the Midwest. Don't talk to strangers. Don't go anywhere alone. And lock your damn doors. And as always, we'll see you next Tuesday. <laughs>